0: Hi everybody, welcome back to How to Lose a Girl in Ten Days. My name is Holly. Um, I'm the sole host for today's episode because Zandi is in the middle of exam season. Um, but today we are very kindly joined by uh, Ollie Murphy, who is the president of the of Young ACT, which is the um, youth wing of the ACT Party um, in New Zealand. So you can give yourself a bit of an intro. Ollie. Thanks
1: for having me. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm Ollie Murphy. I'm the president of of the Auckland club as well as na- national uh, organisation. Um, I got involved okay. in politics, sort of, when I first started university, um, almost accidentally, actually. <laughs> um, you know, just as as most 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 people, um, just, you know, wandering through clubs expo, someone sort of catches you out, and it's like, oh, you know. So I met Felix Poole, who was the pre- previous president of Young Act, and um, yeah, I sort of, sort of got more involved more, more involved since then, and. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Um, cool. What specifically drew you to the ACT Party? Why, why ACT as opposed to, you know, other other different parties? How does it align with your values per se?
1: Well, my parents were both, um, you know, like Labor-Greens voters. And I, so at that point, I, you know, when I was growing up, I considered myself, you know, a good social democrat. And, you know, I guess I generally supported Labor-Greens. Um, and then it was sort of towards the end of high school. I was, I was just wondering, you know, if someone of my mates talking about, you know, this ACT Party. And I'd heard it before in usually negative ways. And so one day I sort of decided into high school, I was like, how bad are these, how bad are they really? And so I go on the website and I sort of find their policies, I sort of scrolling through on my phone, and I was like, oh, these are actually pretty good policies. <laughs> um, and so was just from there, like specifically with charter schools, um, it, it just sort of blew me away how uh, no one was really talking about it, um, especially up from in Whangarei, where I'm from.
0: That's cool. So um, it was kind of a quick fire. Obviously, you're not a um, like official representative, I suppose, of the ACT Party. Or maybe you are. I'm not sure.
1: I'm a, I'm, a rep, I'm official representative of the Youth Wing. Um, of the Youth Wing.
0: Okay, perfect.
1: Which is, an, which is New Zealand's only um, independent youth wing. So we are legally independent from the ACT Party as opposed to the other youth wings who are Kind of controlled by the party.
0: Um, this is kind of from the perspective of the youth wing, then um, I guess. So some quick fire questions, so people can kind of get an idea of the kind of policy you support and the way that you kind of view issues. I've kind of got five quick fire questions. So, in five words or less, what do you think the most important issue affecting young people is today?
1: Cost of living, hundred percent.
0: Cost of living, perfect. Okay. Secondly, do you plan to increase mental health support for university students in New Zealand? Hundred percent. Does Young Act support increasing funding to public transport? Um,
1: yes and no. Yes and uh, no. Gotta, Interesting. I mean, yes, just got to do it in the right way.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, four, do you plan to revoke fees free for university students?
1: Well, personally, we're not planning yes, on it. Yes this, but,
0: or no, um, yes or no, come on.
1: Um, yes.
0: Yes, okay. And five, what's your favourite musical, musical artist?
1: Ooh, I've got to go with um, Talking Heads.
0: Talking Heads. <laughs> Good choice. So you say that cost of living is the biggest issue that you see facing young people today, and I think that a lot of young people would probably um, agree with you. So what kind of policies do you support and what can we kind of chat about in that respect?
1: Well, first of all, cost of living is, is something that every, every New Zealand is facing and having problems with. Mm. From, you know, working with the, with the ACT Party and just in general, it's usually 100% on the top of everyone's minds. Whether you're young or old, it's cost of living. Um, I think ACT has got some great policies around how, how we get around that. Mm. Um Primarily it's about fixing our economy, getting us to sort of get back into the workforce, growing our economy so we can actually um you know, improve people's savings, allow people to keep more of their money through tax cuts. And then you've got lots of other things around there about reducing regulation and um and lots of other little little things in there. Yeah, I
0: think we can probably have a bit of a chat about that. So in terms of tax cuts, Um, The issue that I think young people see with tax cuts is that we don't really get much of a benefit, right? Under a progressive tax system, young people don't really pay as much tax um, comparatively. So therefore, when you're cutting taxes, that predominantly benefits people that already have a lot of money and are less likely to be struggling in the first place. So with that in mind, when you cut taxes and then the government has less money to spend on things like social services, that young people and vulnerable people are predominantly going to be using more how how do young people get a proper benefit out of that when you're reducing services that are available to them and they don't actually get that much more cash in their back pocket?
1: Well, there's a there's a few things within that. Um, you know, ACT put out, out the our alternative budget the other day, which you know, out of the only party to do so, and in that, you know, we cuts we cut, we cut uh, taxes across the board. And while yes, the bottom bracket did go up in percentage, we offset that through uh, tax rebates and. Um, the ets refund that are going to those lower lower income earners. so actually you know young people will be better off under act's new new um, tax system um but it's not just about the here and now right it's about what we want to do in the future it's every young person should be thinking you know in 10 20 years time i want to be earning more than i currently do now um it would be weird if you didn't have that view you're going to be paying more taxes in the future. And if you just because you support a policy now of you know, progressive taxes saying, oh, we need to tax the wealthy so I can benefit more, you're going to be the one paying those taxes in, in 10 years' time. And if we go back well, to I... our, our alternative budget, we don't cut frontline services. In fact, we increase spending in healthcare. We increase spending in education. What we're cutting is the wasteful spending that doesn't actually help the communities that need it.
0: I think that that you say spending is wasteful, but I think that to some regard you have to accept that that some spending does have marginal increases in the benefits of public services. I'm not not saying spending is is
1: wasteful, I'm saying wasteful spending. Spending that is wasteful. Specifically. Okay,
0: so if you want to get the significant benefit to people that you're talking about, you probably also have to take a decent amount of money out of government spending in order to like shift that significantly, right? So if you're actually talking about giving people significantly more money that they're able to spend and get a massive benefit out of, that's probably a significant amount of money that comes out of government budget somewhere. So yeah, I like... A- I, I would agree that some spending is wasteful, but you'd probably have to take out more than the wasteful spending, right? Or at least spending coming out of other social services that maybe benefit only a niche amount of people or not the wider population. So you're, if you're taking money out of services, does that not keep people um, lower in society or less in a position to help themselves up into the top brackets?
1: Well, I mean, in Acts Alternative Budget, we kind of cover all that, right? It's, we, we're not <laughs> cutting essential services for people who really need it. Um, okay. And it's a big part of there's this big misconception around lowering, like, you know, if we lower taxes, you're directly lowering the government's revenue by that much that you're cutting. But it, it's a misconception in that by lowering it, you're actually stimulating the economy in the sense that people have more money in their back pockets, which they're actually likely to spend in a sort of a macroeconomic um, way. They're more likely to spend money, which we will, you know, get back through GST sales tax. And then through people's just general increased revenue through their businesses or personally, we'll also take a tax cut from that. So what you actually see is by reducing taxes, you might not actually be reducing government revenue overall because of that increase in in what's happening in the economy. So even though you're taking a less percentage of a cut, the overall cut could actually be similar size to what we have currently got.
0: Interesting. I think that... The idea works in theory, but in practice when people have more money isn't the trend right now to invest that in either housing or like stocks. So therefore you're not getting that return on investment that you see.
1: Well, by investing in stocks and by in housing, you are stimulating the economy. You know, you're, okay. you're, you're participating in market demand, right? You know, by investing mm-hmm. in a company in a stock, you're not just, it's not just a made up thing. You're actively investing in that company so it has money to, you know, then spend on employing more people, giving staff raises. Mm-hmm. That, that's, you know, it's just general sort of, Oh, yeah, no, no. Um, for sure. Stuff. I think
0: I think the the idea is more that a lot of those investment stocks exist overseas and not necessarily in New Zealand, so the money's kind of going overseas um, on that return of investment. Um, oh, not and always. people will often see that over a massive long-term game. so it's not really a short-term solution to the pressures that people are facing.
1: I mean part of it right is is the reason why people are investing overseas isn't because the overseas options are better or well, it is, but it's because New Zealand options aren't as good. So that's why we know we need to reduce regulation and so our businesses are here in New Zealand can actually get ahead, are competitive with foreign companies. Mm. And so that's you know, to incentivize people to actually invest their money there. But you know, right. most people aren't gonna be spending their extra tax cuts on, on stocks and housing. They're gonna be spending it on, you know, maybe some extra groceries this week. You know, maybe I can get into a ni- bit of a nicer apartment this time. That mm-hmm. sort of thing is what, what really grows the economy
0: okay cool so I think I think that kind of segues nicely into a chat about deregulation right so so what does a young act kind of envision for, for, for deregulation for businesses in New Zealand
1: well it's about just trying to do what you want to do right so many businesses speci- specifically small businesses are having to go through this huge process with regulations and you know all these forms and documents they have to do not because they're the ones who are causing the issue it's because some big company does something and the government then sort of as a reaction to that brings in more regulation which only hurts the small businesses trying to sort of get themselves off the ground they've probably only employed a few people but through this the mass amount of regulations they have to go around you've got this huge issue where they can't spend more time paying their staff more because they're having to spend so much time on just in the office doing admin so it's about okay. sort of you know new zealand's come from a, a you know that number eight wire attitude of pioneers where we're just trying to get stuff done right we're trying to use new new technology and new ways of thinking to grow our economy Mm. and when you start regulating against that you're only hurting ourselves overall you know new technologies that we'll probably get into later there's new technologies that we you can't use under current new zealand law which could be a huge key to new zealand's success
0: is there like an example of those technologies that we're not allowed to use Uh,
1: gmos We'll get into that when we get into uh, the environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. Uh, I think, I think that the idea behind regulation, though, the, 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 the reason that it exists is to, is to protect consumers from corporation-like cost-cutting and things like that. So whilst that might have a poor effect on small businesses, does it not just ensure um, consumer safety when going about the market?
1: Well, yeah, you do absolutely do need some degree of regulation to make sure consumers are protected, but the issue that we're having now is it's sort of gone overboard, right? You have, you've got too much regulation to the point of you've gone past the point of protecting the consumer onto the point of you're bringing in politicians' personal ideologies into it.
0: I think that in the idea of making New Zealand um, businesses more resilient in comparison to like other international like larger corporations and that kind of thing, like opening up competition into the market to make things cheaper, you know, kind of regarding cost of living down that way. Um, I, I think I would just challenge the idea that more competition means that New Zealand businesses will rise to the challenge because isn't that a primary issue like, right, that we experience at the moment is just international corporations have the ability to kind of access like, a lot of goods way more cheaply than New Zealand businesses do. So if they were to come in, would they not just dominate our market? And that's probably bad because the money that goes into those international companies then goes offshore, not back into New Zealand.
1: Well, what ACT what Party was founded on was basically the idea that consumers come first you know if you're trying to struggle to pay rent you're looking for some some savings in your groceries you're not too concerned about whether you're going to a new zealand owned business or you're going through a british owned business the money that's actually going back to britain isn't a huge amount a lot of the money is actually tied up in paying workers and paying staff um you know the logistics services which will be in new zealand new zealand staff so you know a lot of that is actually coming which I'd, say, I'd argue that the majority of it's coming, actually going back into New Zealand, back into the economy, into its workers. Um, so you see there's, there's two thing that's happened recently with the, the duopoly between New World and Countdown. Mm. Um, it seems that the, the knee-jerk reaction from specifically Labour has been, oh, we need to introduce more regulations and set you know caps on prices and bring in some you know, more comp- very complicated law into it, when the, the easy answer is just, well, let's just let foreign supermarkets in. You know, we brought in um, Costco up here in Auckland and they actually had to be given a special exemption from the law just because otherwise they wouldn't have come here. You know, things like, you know, Tesco and stuff could probably give us better, better prices on groceries than, you know, Count Onewa can. And, if, yeah, and yeah. it forces them to lower their prices too, because they can.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, but I think, I think so when looking at that, like, short-term, long-term gain, when you're looking at things like price caps, why can we not just implement those on on the supermarket Duopoly, and then we get a good short-term effect on consumers, right? But we also get a good long-term effect of allowing New Zealand-owned um, enterprises to start up in that market instead of sending money offshore. And then we can have it both ways.
1: I mean, we tried doing price caps in the '80s, right? And it didn't really didn't go bad. Our, our, it was sort of on the tail end of our economy totally collapsing um, under Muldoon. Mm. I think it's it's a it's a dangerous road to go down into into your reaction to to issues being to increase government involvement if the if the if, the, if the, this is the really easy solution is just to let more competition in to lower the prices because that's just how markets work um and obviously it sets precedence right because it's easy to say you know this government is trying to do the right thing and bring in this this you know, regulation to help this but long term you know you, you, it's hard to understand if, if a you know, the next government or government, you know, ten, twenty years down the line, will use that same precedent to introduce you know more regulations that you might actually be against.
0: Okay, if if regulation and therefore like efficiency of government is really key, will bringing in a new ministry of regulation increase efficiency?
1: I mean, it's obviously it's a brand new policy that I still haven't got my uh, head around yet, but um, I think the the underlying reasoning is is there in the sense of you know we've had you know red and blue governments forever um and every time especially national in the last you know few decades is promised oh you know we're gonna reduce we're gonna get rid of what labor's done we're gonna deregulate and do this stuff as soon as they get there they're like oh this limo seat's pretty comfy so they kick their legs up and they kind of do nothing so what basically what we're, try- we're intending with this with this uh, regulation policy is actually having someone who is their entire job to say, you know, we're going to go through every single regulation we have in New Zealand and say, is this actually necessary to protect people? And if it isn't, we'll get rid of it. Because what's happening at the moment is whenever some sort group or opposition party or whatever comes to the government and says, hey, this regulation's bad, you should get rid of it, usually they go to the minister who, you know, seems to be in charge of it. And the minister goes, oh, that's not really my area, Uh, don't come to me about it. And usually that, that sort of gets handed around to all the ministers until it just disappears.
0: Hmm. So
1: that's why the idea is you would have some sort of catch-all minister, kind of like the minister of finance, who um, has that sort of idea across all portfolios, as they control the money side. The idea of a minister of regulation was that they control the regulation side throughout all the portfolios.
0: Okay, so so you're going to try and regulate anti-regulation, or yeah, reg- you're, you're regulating regulation. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I think I'm, with that, kind of move on to um, other, you know, cost of living adjacent issue, which is housing, right? Mm. So what kind of policies do Young Act see to, you know, kind of improve improve the housing market or things like that?
1: Well, I think Act's got a pretty good policy on this one. There's nothing we can add to it to make it any uh, better. Um, the, the key driver is is supply, Right because what we've got at the moment is we've got this huge rma document which is again just slowing things down yeah. a lot of the cases it's it's a box ticking exercise that just costs time and money for not only for local government but for the developers as well and then you've got this whole thing we had a few months uh, last year was um this, the jib board shortage which yeah. basically totally halted all developments and so we've taken a look at that there's a few other cases in in Building that we've we've seen this happen uh, specifically timber as well and so one of our key policies around building materials is if it works overseas if it meets the same international regulations and and standards it doesn't matter who made the jib board if they meet those standards we should be able to use it because at the moment there's a big register of you know what materials and stuff you're allowed to use and that has Mm. to be manually updated for each particular product Mm. so the idea that we would do is we'll simplify and say look if it meets these international specifications we should be good to use it so they'll help you know the diversity of supply and that sort of thing um you know if one company goes goes under there's other companies who can sort of prop up those supplies
0: i think i think that with that when you say look supply is the key driver i think that also demand is the separate end of that equation right with that would you not acknowledge that the issue or like the culture of using housing as an investment drives up demand massively in, in an artificial sense so is it not better to you know cap that demand so then because we have limited supply we can focus on increasing supply while also in the short term reducing the demand for those things so we get get both a short-term and long-term gain out of those
1: i mean the the key driver of 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 demand right isn't people wanting to invest in housing because it's a safe investment it's, i think it is though. well no it's, I would just well, challenge if, if there that. are people no if there are people who don't need housing like you know uh renters for example if there's no one wanting to actually live in a house then it would be not wouldn't be a good investment the reason why people invest in housing is because people want a roof over their head that's the that's the sort of yeah, the base yeah, yeah, level yeah, of that. Yeah, right? of course.
0: So so then so then if you remove the people who are owning the rental properties from that part of the market, then the renters who would otherwise rent in probably like subpar conditions would otherwise be able to purchase a house because the price is cheaper and they were able to have stable accommodation for the rest of their life or whatever, right? Because having a house and owning it is significantly more stable than being a renter.
1: It's I mean that's there's less houses than there are people. That's the the issue is that there's not enough houses to mm-hmm. go around basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, so that, that is exactly why that...
1: people are investing in housing. This is exactly right. And the issue isn't to sort of regularly say, Hey, we're gonna stop you from being able to invest in this. It's saying, Hey, if you've got this money to spend, why don't you just go build it build a house in a in a you know in an undeveloped land? And the way to do that is you create the system where people can actually cheaply build houses. So not only are people gonna invest kind of anyway. But it means there's actually more houses around. And through just through you know, general sort of market theory and practice, that demand mm, okay. that you know, the supply meeting demand will bring prices down.
0: Um I definitely think that like making building materials and things cheaper is a really good idea. But in terms of development, why can we not get those same developments happening if we have like a productive land value tax?
1: It's land value tax is a very sort of complicated um yeah, you know, the the top likes to make it seem simple, but you know, who evaluates the land? Who who's in charge of that and you know how much you're paying them to go through every single piece of property and setting those rates? In fact, we kind of already do pay a land value tax because we pay you know our council rates. You know, if you own property you, you pay council rates. And so, yes, so but
0: like so like if so, so then if if that was working, why don't we have more development? Don't we need to push harder on that so then development does happen? I
1: mean it's it's not about around the land where you already have developed and you know putting a tax on that it's about the undeveloped land you know New Zealand is the one of the least urbanized uh, countries in the world we've got so much land you know that is just it's just out there but the, the regulations we have with you know council plans and whatnot just means we just can't build there
0: Why don't you then focus on developing the already urbanised things because that requires less cost in terms of like transport um, infrastructure and water infrastructure instead of going outwards? Why don't you just focus the tax on inner city development and make it go upwards instead?
1: I mean, that's from a very, um, I guess, urban-centric point of view in the sense of that may be true for Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch. But for places you know out in the middle of nowhere that do have heaps of space to, to open up and to develop, then, you know we shouldn't have a one-size-fits-fits-all policy for that um, you know councils already have to do their own um, urban plan which urban development plan which does take into account all those factors I mean a big especially I'll say for Auckland at least a big issue we have with building up in our sort of smaller areas is this city is, you know hundreds of hundred years old you know the piping is just absolutely not up to standard you know every time it rains here in auckland we get sewage in the beaches because we've got hundred year old plumbing that is now just being stacked with more apartments on top of each other. That mm. is only going to make making more waste, which is just going to overflow with even less rain. So you know, it's you got to do both. Both build up where you can, but where you can't, then you shouldn't sort of say, "Ah, oh, let's just do it anyway for the sake of building up," because then you're just, you know with shit in the streets.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think I think the response there is just like you then use like tax or rate money to improve those pipes and then that's probably just cheaper because those pipes probably need to be upgraded yeah. anyway upgrade them and make them better as opposed to like upgrade them and install new ones
1: yeah so you know brooke the other day had a policy and government and go through the house which was to share gst on new builds with local councils because at the moment mm-hmm. local councils get a really small amount of, of money uh, to spend on it, things like infrastructure and when you know, they have no incentive to, to say, oh yeah, I will let you build that house because they don't get anything from it. You know, if, if they sign off on your, your building consent, other than the, the costs of that consent, they don't really get anything extra. So what this policy would do is share the GST, that being, you know, if you're boarding, buying building supplies in this area, the money that, from the GST from that would then go to that council. So not only do they have an incentive to actually sign off and approve that building permit, um, that money is also then reinvested in infrastructure. And so all parties except Labor voted for that. Bear in mind that includes the two independents, independent MPs, one of which being ex-Labor, has voted for that bill. So it's again purely like an ideological reason they didn't vote for it. It's a good policy, Hmm. you know. National, the Greens, they all, Maori, they supported it. So you know.
0: about um, education yeah. today that seems to be um, a bit of a passion of yours so what kind of thoughts do you have about the current education system? I mean, it's
1: pretty shocking really um, you know teachers aren't being paid enough the kids aren't learning enough it, it's it's not sort of going in the right direction and I think a lot of carewires mm. agree with that yeah um, no, for sure you know when, when ACT gone got, into, got into, gov- uh, into parliament in 2014 that was one of our key policies actually sorry 2008 was, that was one of our charter schools was one of our key policies and what that meant was they were publicly funded so you know any could go to them and get get a level of education but they were privately run and what that meant was that communities can run schools for that community whether that's a local community or whether that's a general generalized thing like, you know, like special um, areas um and they saw huge success huge success um, specifically for communities that needed the most. You know, we, we supported um, iwi setting up... Uh, uh, kind of schools? Yeah, like, you know, uh, down, especially in the Hawke's Bay, where, you know, the, the local iwis were, you know, they could teach their kids, you know, the standards, they taught what they needed to learn. Um, they did it very well. And they were able to do that in their own culture, their own way of doing things. And you see things um, up here in Auckland, up in um, the Vanguard Military School, where you had some kids coming from some of the worst conditions, you know, whether that's their, their their family or their school, particularly. You know, you had kids who were probably some of the worst performers in New Zealand, in you know, in school, and they went to being the best. Um, I can't remember her name. There's this one particular girl who literally went from being the worst to the, being one of the very best because of these schools. And the first thing Labour did when they got into government in 2017 was get rid of them
0: so do you do you not support like a national curriculum in that sense
1: i mean for public schools you kind of need it um, yeah. but what what private school what the charter schools allow allow them to do is pick those curriculums whether they want to continue with nca or use something like cambridge or mm. um, the international system you know that that's but up to private them schools the, can
0: just do that anyways under the status quo
1: yeah this is so the the thing about charter schools right is it's publicly funded so any any kid can, can go to them whether they're, right, they're okay. rich or poor um, and one of the the key thing about charter schools, right, is it's about giving a really good education to the people who need it the most. Mm. Education, you've uh, you know, we've seen data statistics everywhere. Is the key driver in in improving poverty. If you have a good education, you're likely to get a pretty good job, which means you're not going to be you're going to be paid well, not going to be in poverty. So if we can fix education in the long term, we can mm. fix poverty. Relatively. Yeah, I think. I think, I think
0: that, that sounds good. And that's probably a good aspect of a policy. But in terms of the rest of Acts kind of um, educational policy, um, do, doesn't that kind of fundamentally miss the issue that exists within our schooling system, which is that, like, even if these are nicely government funded, the government doesn't have enough money to fund them and they're just chronically underfunded. And that's why we have such poor outcomes.
1: Well, that's why an alternative budget we would increase, increase education spending. I can't remember the exact amount, but it's a pretty significant amount. Yeah, for sure. Amount. And
0: then, and then you want to also add what was um, a what did it say? It was like um, a teacher teacher excellence reward fund.
1: Yeah, because at the moment um, in public schools, their pay is decided centrally in Wellington. So I mean, whether yeah. you live up in Kaikoura or, or um, Kerecere, you're you're getting paid the same, and that's set by Ministry of Education. So essentially, what mm-hmm. what this fund would be is a kind of a workaround. To allow teachers who have done particularly well to get a little extra pay, and every, every you know, I think every once in a while,
0: I I just wonder about why that's most effective, and why don't you instead just spend that money distributing them like across teachers in like low income or like low low income areas or like low decile schools instead? But given that they're probably the ones who need the most support, because I think that the issue with the Teaching Excellence Reward Fund is that teachers firstly just like often can't probably choose who their students are so if they and like kids just develop at different ages right so they just cannot guarantee that a child is going to have success but also just probably alienates teachers that are in lower um lower performing schools grades wise and also those who teach like special education and things like that
1: well i mean the, the this fund in terms of who they decide to give that money to specifically um isn't decided by ministry of education that the fund will be decided by mm-hmm. the principal themselves so whether you're in whatever decile you're in, if your teacher is doing well in that particular school, then they'll get the funny. It's not about whether their kids are you know, statistically okay. doing well, better than other uh, class, but if they've seen, oh, look, you know, they've seen a huge improvement or they've done this particularly well. And again, it's, it's up to the principal themselves who know their school, who know their teachers, who know their, their students. You know, uh, you know Minister yeah, of sure. Education so, won't know that. They don't know so the teachers. Why
0: don't you just spread that money over people who probably need it?
1: Uh, cause in the grand scheme of things, it's not a mm-hmm. whole lot of money. Um, it's, we already sort of spread money out through mm. the decile system. Um, so the you know, poor, poor, um, schools are actually getting a bit more funding to help, help them anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a small policy. It's not a huge you know tipping point in yeah, in the budget. Right.
0: environment i think this is like a topic that interests a lot of young people specifically um and people are quite concerned about um what i think people have a conception that act does not you know prioritize um environmental spending or cutting um cutting cutting carbon usage and things like that so what would you kind of say about that or what's your young act stance on it
1: yeah i mean in terms of priorities it's what we've seen from you know polls and from Basically, you know, when we're talking to people out on the streets, stuff is, is environment is actually pretty lowly ranked in people's. Um, in, in, in all, in the grand scheme of things, environment is like generally up there, but it's not usually the first thing. Usually, the first thing is cost of living, crime, um, but obviously, environment is still incredibly important. It's, you know, the, you can't have a society without uh, the environment, um, and you know, it's a global issue, right? It's a, it's, a country, it's a it's an issue that we're all facing as a globe. And so, the, and so, the question that is usually asked um, is, you know, how can we, how can New Zealand reduce our emissions? But that's not the question should, we should be asking. Is how can we reduce the globe's emissions? Mm. And even though that seemed, they seem very, very similar questions, the what the, the um, you know the, the actual policies that, that because of that is, is actually really different. Mm. It's 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 quite different. Act believes you know we need a, we need technology to lead the way in how we how we combat uh, emissions you know we, we shouldn't be self uh, self- immolating ourselves just to just to reduce our emissions in terms of you know what we do because ultimately that won't change the inevitable outcome of global emissions what we need what we need to do is pioneer the technologies that will be able to be used overseas to actually have a real impact on, on emissions. And we, what we brushed on earlier was um, was um, GMOs, yeah. and you know, it's, it's good to see that Nationals sort of just come round to to supporting GMOs. But Young Act held, held that position for a long time. You know, we were massively in favour of GMOs. You know, there's there's ryegrasses developed up here at Auckland University that um, you know reduce the methane emissions from the cows that eat them. Mm. But we, you can't use that in New Zealand; it's banned. And the party that's the most against it is the Green Party yet the other party who are constantly saying and they're rightfully so agriculture is our biggest emitter but they're actually refusing to give agriculture the tools to actually reduce their emissions other than killing their cows the only solution long term and globally is through gmos you know we've been doing gmos basically all throughout human history just a bit slower Mm. and it's and it's the basically the reason why we can our globe can support the the population it does is through the way we've developed GMOs either naturally or or through, um, you know, in the lab Mm -hmm. to actually increase the harvest. And so it's about, in terms of like how we fix climate change overall, is we need to sort of essentially apply market forces to it. It's it's, it's not not about how, you know, how much can we reduce our emissions with this particular policy. You actually just want to make it the cheaper alternative is to be a low emitter that's what you kind of want to end up as. And GMOs yeah. are a hundred percent the way towards that. For sure. You know, through GMOs. So then would
0: you also, um, with that statement, um, support like massively increasing carbon costs? Um,
1: I mean, obviously you have to, you have to balance it, right? So we have to do a bit and the emissions trading scheme, you know, multiple, um, multiple, multiple, um, initiatives have said like, you know, the, the emissions trading scheme is basically what we need to do our part. And the emissions mm-hmm. trading scheme is it's a great policy. It, it works really well. Um, and part of that is is giving an incentive a market incentive for companies to reduce their emissions and it doesn't mean we should you know massively increase the carbon price so you know it happens faster because the reality is it kind of won't ruin our economy you know if we keep it in 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 lean with our top five trading partners which is Axe policy then it means we're doing our bit alongside our our economic neighbors
0: it's all very well to, to put it at where our trading partners are at but if we want to make a difference firstly I think just morally shouldn't we be doing more if we can do more but secondly also I think New Zealand's probably in quite a unique position to be able to become a world leader in these kinds of things so if we just massively increase the costs of being carbon um, of like emitting carbon then and maybe like incentivize um, sustainable development then we can create new technologies like you're saying like GMOs and then be able to like sell those off and like massively increase our economy that way whilst also becoming like a global leader in sustainable development and also, like, outwardly appearing to do our part. Because even though New Zealand's a small part of, like, the world in an actual sense, our influence on the perception of sustainability and what it means to be clean and green and what to be a good country is, is significantly larger than, you know, our place on the map.
1: It goes back to, to the, what is the question... It's again. It's 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 not how can New Zealand reduce our emissions. It's how we can reduce the world's emissions. Mm-mm.
0: But 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 if we're able to export a bunch of sustainable technologies, then we're able to reduce the globe's emissions, right?
1: Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Is but yeah. we shouldn't. You know, and the, it's it's about the incentives. Massively increasing mm. the carbon cost is not the right incentives because it means that the, that those businesses won't have the money left over to invest in, in green technologies. What we're saying is, you know, have, do our part with, with the emissions trading scheme, mm. you know, but also lower t- business costs so we, we can actually, the business have cash left over to invest in, you know, solar power, invest in GMOs if they're agriculturally uh, minded. Mm. Um, and that that's the way we go about it. And so we can develop grasses like we have done here already that at the moment can't be used here. And then, you know, develop those technologies domestically and then say to America, you know, hey, we've got these, these cool new green uh, grasses. You want to use them? That would have a much better uh, re- reduction in global emissions than for us just to hear to say, ah, oh, no, we'll stop stop producing cows.
0: great chat i think that our time is probably running out but um, if you have any final uh, remarks any any last things you'd like to say
1: yeah i mean lastly um you know if you think this the, the direction of this country isn't going in the right way if you're looking at labor national and thinking off oh, they're, they're basically the same if you're looking at the greens and think what's going on there you know that they've had lots of infighting they don't seem to have a very well oiled machine and their policies aren't great either. <laughs> um, if you're looking at all that going, well, I need an alternative, then I would really consider going on the ACT Party website, looking at the policies instead of having an open mind. Because, you know, we're probably, you know, the way polls are going, we're probably going to be in the next government with National. And if you're, if you're ready to consider giving your vote to ACT, you're ready, you're ready to have a more liberal view in the next government. Because, you know, National's quite conservative and so, if it looks like National Act are going to be in the next government, I would consider giving your vote to Act, just even just to have that more of a liberal view in the next government. That's what I like to say to the end there.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for coming on, Ollie. It's been really good to I talk.
1: I absolutely appreciate it.